It's unrelated things. Greetings and welcome to Unrelated Things, the podcast where I just talk about things that are unrelated or usually not related or sometimes related. They might be related, they might not, but they're mostly not. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can follow Unrelated Things on Twitter and see every time I post this and my other podcasts. And you can go to unrelatedthings.net to find back episodes. Also, you can go there and make a donation uh, to keep this podcast going. Let's see what we have for tonight. This first story is from gizmodo.com. This is written by Tom McKay. Philadelphia just banned most cashless stores. A first for a U.S. city. Philadelphia, Philadelphia is actually passing and has passed in, in the past um, some pretty progressive uh, consumer-oriented laws because I have to deal with some of those where I work. The city of Philadelphia has banned cashless stores, the Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday, in a move that, quote, will require most retail stores to accept cash as opposed to credit cards or mobile devices. Despite the text on the U.S. dollar bill stating this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private, that only applies to creditors. Unless mandated by other laws, retail stores, restaurants, and other businesses are not actually obligated to accept cash as a form of payment. And lately, there has been a wave of businesses banning physical currency and instead asking for payment via cards or apps. While businesses claim that, uh, that going cashless allows for greater efficiency and prevents stick-up attempts, that new model has also spurred accusations of classism and deliberate intent to shut out the economically disadvantaged. Philadelphia officials cited those arguments when passing the law. The journal wrote, quote, Philadelphia City Councilman William Greenlee, a Democrat, said he was inspired to introduce the bill after noticing some center city sandwich shops had gone cashless. Most of the people who don't have credit tend to be lower income minority immigrants. It just seemed to me, if not intentional, at least a form of discrimination, he said. Now, he said, stores will be required, quote, to do what businesses have been doing since Ben Franklin was walking the streets of Philadelphia. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney, a Democrat, signed the bill into law last week. His spokesman noted that 26% of city residents live below the poverty line and many don't have a bank account. Cash can be loaded onto prepaid debit cards, but those come with various fees. Quote, it just seemed to me unfair that I could walk into a coffee shop right across from City Hall and I had a credit card and could get a cup of coffee and the person behind me who had United States currency could not, Greenlee told the New York Times. According to the Times, businesses in violation of the policy after it goes into effect on July 1 could receive $2,000 in fines. Businesses exempted from the law include parking garages and lots. Wholesalers like Costco 
that have memberships and those that typically need large deposits unlikely to be paid in cash, like hotels, the journal wrote. It also has a carve-out for, quote, retail stores selling consumer goods exclusively through a membership model that requires payment by means of an affiliated mobile device application and what appears to be a nod to cashierless stores of the future like those being tested by Amazon. Amazon says it would still be impacted because it does not, in fact, require shoppers to be Prime members, a City Commerce Department spokesperson told the journal. Other bills to ban cashless establishments are currently being proposed in New York and New Jersey, while Massachusetts already mandates cash as an accepted form of payment. So when you go to Philadelphia, you don't need to worry about forgetting your credit card. This piece is posted by Rokas L. on board Panda. Recently, MIT Technology Review posted an article titled The Hipster Effect, Why Anti-Conformists Always End Up Looking the Same. And in an incredible, ironic turn of events, it almost instantly proved itself right. The article was an analysis of recent research by the Brandeis University mathematician Jonathan Tubul on, quote, the hipster effect, specifically how the population of hipsters initially act randomly but then undergo a phase transition into a synchronized state. Oh, they're like synchronized swimmers. It, so we can, like, get the hipsters to... Um, get into the Summer Olympics and we can win the synchronized swimming competition finally. I say finally. I don't know. Maybe our, maybe our synchronized swimming team is already fantastic and already has brought home the gold. No intent to slight them. However, it was the inclusion of a Getty's image stock photo of a bearded man that prompted one reader to contact the magazine. Quote, Your lack of basic journalistic ethics in both the manner in which you quote, reported this uncredited nonsense and the slanderous, unnecessary use of a my picture without permission demands a response. And I am, of course, pursuing legal action. Ooh, the litigious hipster. Quote, we haven't received a similar claim that I'm aware of in the time I've been editor, but that's only been 15 months, Litchfield told Board Panda, and that was the only communication we had with him. I looked at what his accusation was, and I said, he seems to be accusing us of implying that he's a hipster. I'm pretty sure that can't be prosecuted for slander, Litchfield said. My second thought was, you know, I'm sure that we use this photo in accordance with the license and we got it from a reputable agency, so there shouldn't be a problem with using it, even if the person in the picture doesn't like the implication. So I forwarded the email to our art department and their response was, yes, we have the right license, but, you know, we can take the picture down anyway if he's annoyed. But our creative director said, no, this was an image that we used with permission and perfectly in accordance with our rights. We shouldn't take it down just because somebody doesn't like it.
And there's a couple of tweets in here. But I don't think they're relevant. But then the did I miss did I miss something? No, I didn't miss anything in the story. So the story seems to jump here a bit. And that's how a 34-page study got proven in a brief round of email ping pong. They wrote to him and said, We don't think this is you. And he replied, Oh, I guess you're right. It's not, Litchfield explained. No apology, but you know, I'm happy that it's resolved. So this this study was that hipsters look and act the same and someone said how dare you use a photo of me but the photo wasn't actually of him it was just uh proving that the study had a point next piece is from newyorkpost.com now i mainly chose this story because of the headline but since the time that I added this story, they changed the headline online. So originally, the headline for the story said, Little Girl Saves Kidnapped Man After Finding Him Tied Up Inside Car Trunk. So that's what I'm going to go with for now. Written by Kevin Sheehan, Craig McCarthy, and Natalie Musamichi. A teen girl is being lauded as a hero after she heard screams coming from the trunk of a car parked on Suburban Street in New Jersey and helped lead cops to discover a bound, kidnapped man locked away for hours inside. Kayla Rose, age 17. 17! She's 17 years old. The title originally said, Little Girl Saves Kidnapped Man After Finding Him Tied Inside a Trunk. Age 17. That is not a little girl. You can you can call her a girl if you like. I would say age 17 is pretty much a young woman. She was out walking her dog uh, named Milkshake. I wonder if Milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Before school Thursday at around 7 a.m. when she heard knocking and scratching coming from the trunk of a black Nissan parked on her block. I moved closer and said, Hello? Rose recalled, adding that that's when she heard a man reply back, Hello? I need some help. Rose said she got scared and nervous, so I got help quick. I went to my neighbors across the street and they called the police, Rose said, noting, Nothing like this happens over here. Rose told her mom, Marie Banks, what she discovered. Quote, She said it looked like she was in a horror movie, Banks said. The neighbor who called the cops tried to get the trapped man out of the car using a crowbar to no avail. All I was doing was bending the, mel- the metal, he said. I asked if he could breathe, and he said he could. I told him to hang on. The police and fire department are on the way. When authorities arrived at the scene on Lindsley Avenue, the firefighters managed to jimmy open the car door, fold down the back car seat, and put out the man who was bound and pull out not put out. It wasn't a fire. He was not on fire at the time. Pull out the man who was bound with tape. His face was all smashed up, the neighbor said. He said they hit him. They had him tied up. They had him tied up his hands. The firemen had to cut him loose. According to the Union County Prosecutor's Office, the man inside the trunk was reportedly carjacked, kidnapped, and robbed. So uh, the story not as compelling as the the issue that initially was there with the with the bad title that they 
have subsequently fixed. The new title does say Teen Girl Saves Kidnapped Man after finding him tied up inside car trunk. Not as crazy as when it said Little Girl. Next story is from foxnews.com, written by Amy Liu, ex-wife of $273 million lotto winner, says she still doesn't want him back. The ex-wife of an unemployed New Jersey man who just claimed his $273 million Mega Millions jackpot told the New York Post on Thursday that she has no plans to reunite with her ex, despite his newfound wealth. Quote, He's not appealing to me all of a sudden because he has this money, she told the paper. The couple was married for 15 years until they divorced last October. She told the Post that she paid spousal support and continues to make payments. Quote, I'm not going after anything. I have morals. I know what I've worked for, and it's everything that I have, she said. She also said that she doesn't think her ex-husband will reach out to offer her any of the cash, but hopes he, quote, does the right thing. Think about it. How long did I work? How long did I support him? I had to give him a lot of money in the divorce, she said. You tell me what's the moral thing to do. Her ex-husband said he'd been actively searching for a job over the last year, but never received an interview, the Daily Mail reported. And this is where the story gets even a little more crazy. This guy who bought these lottery tickets and ended up winning, he he originally left the tickets behind at the store. The story says, he said he left his two tickets he purchased at the store and a quote, good Samaritan reportedly handed them over to the clerk. Quote, I'm looking for the guy that handed them in, Wierski told the mail. I'm going to give him something. That's nice. But uh, a little crazy that he, the ticket that he ended up purchasing, he actually misplaced, having left it behind at the store. And another shopper turned it in, and they held it, and he did finally get it before, I believe he got it before the drawing and not after. And the story is from people.com. This is uh, some good news. Char, this is written by Char Adams. No more setting your clocks back. Lawmakers want to make daylight saving time permanent nationwide. A trio of Florida politicians have introduced a bill to have the nation observe daylight saving time all year round. We could be saying goodbye to that extra hour of sleep. A trio of Florida Republicans, Senator Marco Rubio, Representative Vern Buchanan, and Senator Rick Scott, want the country to observe daylight saving time all year round. The group on Wednesday introduced the Sunshine Protection Act, which would end the time change nationwide. Quote, The bill would simply negate the need for Americans to change their clocks twice a year, the group said in a statement. Many studies have shown that making DST permanent could benefit the economy and the country. Daylight saving time is set to begin on Sunday and will continue through November 3rd. Last year, the Florida legislature 
voted to observe daylight saving time year-round, according to USA Today. Now Buchanan wants to get everyone in the nation on the same page. Well, I do agree, and I do like this uh, legislation. I would be quite happy to not have to go through the time change twice a year. Um, But I think they're only doing this because they want the rest of the country to be or the rest of the East Coast, Eastern time zone at least, to follow Florida's lead. And they don't want Florida to be the odd state out on the eastern half of the country, um, whereas Arizona and a couple other places um, do this as well. But to be the one state in the eastern time zone that doesn't change your clocks when everyone, when every other state does could cause some uh, business trouble and interruptions. Um, So I think that even though it's a good idea, it's clear that these three introduced it just to get everyone else in line with what Florida has already chosen to do. The group listed several benefits of the change, including reducing the risk of heart issues. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Robberies. I don't, I, I don't really know how it reduces the risk of robberies, but maybe there's some study somewhere. You know, they're not actually changing the amount of daylight in a day. They're only changing the time that displays on your clock during the daylight hours. So can't, can't robbers accommodate that? Do you think that this is going to confuse them and they will... Rob less? Sounds kind of specious. All right, I'm going to read this list of supposed benefits, but I am quite skeptical. The group listed several benefits of the change, including reducing the risk of heart issues, robberies, childhood obesity, car accidents. I can buy the car accidents because... If you're driving in the dark versus driving during the daylight, there certainly can be a a difference then. And energy usage, which has always been the big, I think always been one of the big defenses of daylight savings time, that it helps reduce the amount of energy used um, by shifting the clocks. Before the measure was passed last year, many argued that the bill would put students at risk when they had to travel to school in the dark winter months. However, Florida, aha, here's the rub, Florida cannot make the change without federal approval. The Sunshine Protection Act will allow Floridians and visitors to enjoy our beautiful state even later in the day and will benefit Florida's tourism industry, which just celebrated another record year. Oh, well, if they just had a record year with daylight savings time, then daylight savings time, whereas it might help, isn't really necessary to change. Most of the nation has gotten used to setting their clocks back, typically dreading losing that precious hour of sleep. In recent years, some 26 states were considering making daylight saving time permanent, according to USA Today. Um, It was first enacted by the federal government as a way to save coal during World War I in the spring of 1918 and was only meant to exist during wartime. The practice 
the practice technically ended later that same year, but many regions continued to follow it until eventually the government put the measure back in place in 1966. That surprises me. I thought it was in effect long before 1966. The Department of Transportation continues to observe the twice-yearly time swap because it reportedly saves energy, cuts down on traffic accidents, and reduces crime. Wait, didn't they say the benefit of ending it would be to reduce robberies? But the Department of Transportation claims that actually observing the time swap saves energy, cuts down on traffic accidents, and reduces crime. Hmm... Someone, I think, has bad data. Along with Florida, Arizona, Hawaii, and a handful of U.S. territories, including Puerto Rico, do not observe the time change. Time reported. Time the magazine. Last year, Californians voted to pass Proposition 7 to make daylight saving time permanent. KOVR reported. So they did slip in that one sentence that apparently Florida passed this, but needs federal approval or put a contingency in their law that said that it would happen in Florida when a federal law along the same lines was passed. Next story is by Taylor Hosking. This is from Vice. Rappers are defending their right to anti-cop lyrics in the Supreme Court. In 2014, Pennsylvania Supreme Court sentenced Pittsburgh rapper Mayhem Mall to two years in prison for, quote, terroristic threats and, quote, witness intimidation. This conviction was based on his lyrics in Fuck the Police, a song he rapped on as part of the group Ghetto Superstar Committee. The song, which borrows its title from N.W.A.'s Fuck the Police, name-checks officers who had arrested Mal, whose real name is Jamal Knox, for gun and drug possession in 2012 and refers to killing them and other cops. The officers claimed the lyrics made them feel threatened, but Knox held that his lyrics weren't meant to be taken literally and were a vehicle of his rap persona's expression not an indication of real action he intended to take. Now the federal Supreme Court is hearing his appeal case as his lawyers argue that his First Amendment rights to free speech have been violated. The situation is kicking up a larger debate about whether rap lyrics can qualify legally as a threat. The New York Times reports that on Wednesday, some of the biggest rappers in the game band together. No. I think I think when you band together, it's B-A-N-D, band together, unless there's something I don't know about the English language. And I can tell you most certainly there are many things I don't know about the English language, even though it is my first language and actually pretty much my only language. Je ne comprends pas. And ich verstehe das, ich verstehe das nicht are the two of the very, very few foreign phrases that I know. And they both pretty much mean I don't understand in French and German. Um, but this says 
the biggest rappers in the game band together, B-A-N-N-E-D, to file a brief in the case, defending Knox, calling his song, quote, a work of poetry that's not intended to be taken literally. Together, Chance the Rapper, Yo Gotti, Meek Mill, 21 Savage, Fat Joe, and Killer Mike also dropped a crash course on rap and hip-hop on the justices presiding over the case in order to provide cultural understanding of the rapper's lyrics. In the brief, the rappers wrote that Knox's conviction was passed by a court deeply unaware of popular music generally and rap music specifically. Noting NWA's Fuck the Police as an example of how anti-cop lyrics provide an important outlet for highlighting injustice in society. They explain that the power in NWA's Fuck the Police lies in how the song, quote, struck a nerve for many people, especially in marginalized communities. They wanted justice too, but only in fictional songs like Fuck the Police could they seem to find it. At the time of its release, Fuck the Police enraged the FBI, leading the organization's assistant director, Milt Alrick, to write an angry letter to NWA's record company, Ruthless Records, on the FBI's behalf, saying, quote, Law enforcement officers dedicate their lives to the protection of our citizens, and recordings such as the one from NWA are both discouraging and degrading to those brave, dedicated officers. The tension between NWA and law enforcement infamously led to police officers storming the stage at a 1989 concert in Detroit when the group performed the song. Ghetto Superstar Committee's Fuck the Police holds the same power in its expression, especially considering the frayed relationship between law enforcement and the black community today. The brief also points out how violent rap lyrics are treated differently by authorities than in stereotypically whiter genres. Consider country music. Like rap, it often depicts sex, drug, or alcohol abuse, poverty, and certainly violence, it reads. Yet people tend to have a very different responses to country music. Yet people tend to have very different responses to country music. Killer Mike echoed the same sentiment to the New York Times, saying, I can tell you that the lyrics are dark and brutal when Johnny Cash describes shooting a man in Reno just to watch him die, and when Ice Cube rapped about a drive-by shooting early in his career. At its core, the brief brought up questions of whether black artists have the same creative freedoms as other groups do. This group of artists is helping make the case, citing rappers like Ice-T, whose song, Cop Killer, released in 1992 under the rapper's band Body Count, sparked major controversy. Their brief highlights, uh, highlights, their brief highlights a moment in Ice-T's memoir where he compares his rap persona in Cop Killer to David Bowie playing with characters in Space Oddity. Quote, if you believe that I'm a cop killer, he wrote, do you believe David Bowie is an astronaut? It is uncertain what, the effect, what effect the rappers will have in swaying the Supreme Court. For now, Knox is still in prison while he awaits a verdict. And I have not looked up the exact lyrics here, so I can't comment specifically on whether I think that uh, 
any charges were warranted or not. But I will say, I wish that law enforcement worked as hard to destroy the sentiments that they've built up over such a long time in the black community by treating the black community differently and better and humanely and and give give these rappers and give everyone absolutely no reason whatsoever to have hatred towards you by making sure that anyone in your community in the police force is not a racist asshole that'll be a good first step next piece here is from the palm beach post did rare stolen coins end up in supermarket change machine victim wonders and this is written by Elliot Kleinberg. Michael Johnson envisioned Shane Anthony Melee sending those commemorative presidential dollars spiraling down a slot to be converted from $33,000 worth of collectibles to just enough store credit to buy a couple of 12 packs of beer. Quote, he easily had $33,000 worth and he dumped it in a coin star machine, Johnson said. Authorities said Melee 40 of Riviera Beach confessed he stole rare coins and other items valued at $350,000 from Johnson's North Palm Beach office in December. Melee reported he sold some, then ran many through change machines where he got just face value. Johnson, who said he's disabled and mostly not working, said Melee wiped him out of his life savings. Quote, I was using those coins to help stay alive, he said. There's no insurance that covers this kind of thing, really. Not at the losses we're talking about, he said. It's put me in a world of hurt. Melee was booked the evening of February 1 at the Palm Beach County Jail, charged with grand theft of more than $100,000, along with an unrelated 10-count drug charge. He left February 4 after posting bond. Jail and court records show. Johnson, who's in the finance industry, said he inherited a large coin collection, as well as a love of collecting from his father, who died about six years ago. He said he started collecting at age 16 and estimated he had more than 100,000 coins in 80 boxes, some worth just a little and some extremely valuable. Now, he said, they're mostly gone. He said he'd met Melee a few years back through mutual friends and he'd helped out the man. He said Melee contacted him last fall on social media, saying his wallet had been stolen, and he let Melee stay at his business office on US-1, just north of Ebb Tide Drive, in exchange for help with work with a work project. He said Melee stayed off and on from October until December 19. Johnson said he came in the next day and, quote, everything was ransacked. He said Melee had broken the lock on the cabinet. The police report said Johnson gave investigators security camera video 
showing Melee placing blue tape over cameras on the night of December 19. He said he'd had some collectible coins out, but had not mentioned to Melee his large cash or where it was. The report said police learned Melee had an outstanding warrant. It doesn't say for what. And acting on a tip, they picked up Melee on February 1 at his home. Oh, at a home in Lake Worth. A separate PBSO report said deputies found items in Melee's backpack that led to seven counts of possession of painkillers, one for possession of marijuana, and two counts for possession of drug paraphernalia. The report said Melee later confessed to North Palm Beach police to stealing the coins, telling authorities that, quote, Johnson owed him. When Melee was arrested, the report said, he had some coins on him. He told investigators he took some coins to South Florida Coins and Jewelry in Lake Worth, where he said he got about $4,000. The store's owner, George Hornberg, told the Palm Beach Post on Tuesday the total actually was $2,330. He said he spent about two and a half hours processing the coins. He said, unlike valuable jewelry, sales of collectible coins do not require filling out of paperwork. Maley told police he dumped the rest of the collectibles in Coinstar machines at area grocery stores. That means if he dropped in the 33 presidential coins valued at $1,000 each, he got about $29.30. Not a good deal. Lots of court cases this, this episode, or, or criminal cases at least. This is from thegardenisland.com, and is actually a story by Associated Press. Potential juror yells, he is guilty, and winds up jailed. A man called for jury duty in Hawaii shouted, he is guilty, he is guilty, outside a courtroom, and ended up spending a night in jail, lawyers said. The lawyer representing Jacob Maldonado said his client had a bad day, I'll say, when he made an outburst on Tuesday. Quote, he was trying to get out of jury duty. Well, he did. Attorney Jason Burks told the court, obviously, he took a very improper approach to it. Maldonado had been called as a possible juror in a Honolulu misdemeanor assault trial. The court was about to begin jury selection when lawyers alerted Judge Edward Kubo that a potential juror was creating a disturbance outside. Kubo, dis Kubo declared a mistrial, finding the man's disturbance had affected the 44 other potential jurors, according to the judge's order. The judge ordered Maldonado's arrest on a contempt charge and set a $10,000 cash bail. Maldonado spent the night in jail and appeared before Kubo on Wednesday morning. Quote, It was so uncalled for, Kubo said Wednesday. The fairness of a trial is mandated and expected. Burks told the judge that Maldonado's father was recently diagnosed with cancer and his wife was also dealing with medical issues. Maldonado apologized to the judge, saying he wouldn't do it again. Kubo explained the severity of the outburst, comparing the efforts to taint a jury or disrupt the selection process as yelling, there's a bomb on an airplane. We have to take it seriously, Kubo said. Maldonado was released without being charged or fined. And this piece is from Board Panda. 
by Gerda. We've all gone to great lengths to get that perfect travel photo, but one grandma may have taken it too far. 24-year-old English teacher Catherine Strang recently shared with Twitter that her sweet grandmother had almost got washed out to sea in the unforgiving Icelandic waters after the iceberg she was posed on got pulled away by a large wave. To the delight of the internet, Strang the entire dramatic tale in a thread. I'm guessing it should say Strang posted the entire dramatic tale in a thread, complete with pictures, making us all realize that maybe you don't always need to flex so hard for the gym. You might just drown. The Titanic event all went down at Joklusarlon Lagoon, located in the southeastern part of Iceland. Strang's grandmother spotted a large iceberg shaped like a throne and decided it was a perfect photo opportunity. She sat on the ice and had her son take a photo, but things didn't go according to plan. In one icy swoop, Grandma was off to sea, managing to stay atop the icy chair without falling into the cold Icelandic depths off, off the sea. Of the sea? I have a feeling that it wasn't all that deep, the distance that she went. Um, quote, my father described what happened in the following way, Strang told the outlet, and read one of the descriptive texts he had sent her. Quote, she ascended the throne after a wave had pulled back and left it briefly exposed on the beach. Then a wave washed in and dislodged the ice throne, rocking it from side to side. When the wave retreated, it lifted the dislodged throne and carried her out with the tide. Strang said her grandmother floated so far out that she required a formal rescue, and fortunately, there was someone around who could assist. Licensed boat captain and water rescuer Randy LeCount from Florida had witnessed the entire thing and jumped to her rescue. Quote, he just happened to be on shore when the whole thing occurred, so he waded out into the rolling water and pulled her off the iceberg as it drifted out to sea, supporting her until they reached the shore. Yeah, because she, it wasn't over her head. Not to be deterred by a little ice mishap, Strang's father and grandmother are still on vacation in Iceland. The teacher noted that several other people had successfully posed for iceberg photos without the incident, but the grandma was just, quote, the lucky one, adding, that's just so something that would happen to my family. And there is a picture posted of a sign that says, Glacial Lagoon, safety rules. Let's see if this is clear enough to read. Don't step on icebergs. Stand, stand it. Oh, that's, it's in another language. I'm trying to read whatever Icelandic language is underneath the English. Standid eki a isakom. I shall not try that again. So it is. It's the first rule. The first rule of glacial lagoon safety rules. Don't step on icebergs. Come on, Grandma. What's the fourth rule? You only survive a few minutes. Dangerous currents is rule number five. Rolling icebergs form waves is rule number six. You broke most of the rules. No swimming. I guess you weren't swimming. You were waiting. Unsafe ice for walking. So... All the rules, except for the swimming rule, Grandma, you broke them.
And next story is from independent.co.uk. Woman sentenced to jail for freeing crying bear cub from trap in New Jersey. This is written by Sarah Harvard. A judge sentenced a woman to 15 days in jail for freeing a crying cub from a bear trap. Municipal Court Judge James Devine sentenced Catherine McCartney on Thursday. McCartney, who has a record of arrests related to bear hunt protests, pleaded guilty to obstructing, quote, the administration of law and the prevention of the lawful taking of wildlife. McCartney, a dedicated animal rights activist, plans to appeal the sentence relating to the incident in Vernon, New Jersey. In a statement she read in court, McCartney said she did not regret her decision in rescuing the bear cub from the painful trap. Quote, These animals are innocent, and so I made the moral decision to let the bear go so he could run back to his mother, and it was the right thing to do, she said. The incident in question took place in October in a condominium complex. The New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection said it installed two culvert traps inside the complex campus to capture a bear, known as Mama Bear, by activists. Following two incidents with residents, none of these incidents resulted in injury. Mark Nagelhout, who helped McCartney free the cub, also pleaded guilty to the same charges. However, he did not receive a jail sentence since this was his first offense. Both defendants were also fined $1,316. And finally, the last story for from this episode is from boingboing.net, written by Corey Doctorow. Improbably, a black activist is now the owner and leader of the, quote, National Socialist Movement, which he is turning into an anti-racist group. The National Socialist Movement is one of America's oldest and most influential Holocaust denial neo-Nazi movements, proprietors of one of the world's most prominent Holocaust denial websites, and defendants in a case over members who participated in racist violence in the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally. James Hart Stern is a black civil rights activist who has previously, through very unlikely circumstance, become the head of a prominent KKK organization, which he took over in order to dissolve it. Stern was able to do this because he became a confidant of former Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard Edgar Ray Killen while they were cellmates. While Killen was imprisoned for murder and Stern was imprisoned for mail fraud, Killen ended up giving Stern power of attorney, which Stern used to take over the Klan and shut it down. Jeff Shope was the long-term president of the NSM, credited with reinvigorating it and growing it. He became acquainted with Stern through Stern's connection to Killen. He claims that he sought Stern's advice on his legal exposure 
from the Unite the Right suits and that Killen convinced him that he should sign over control of the NSM to him in order to protect himself and that Stern tricked him into signing over control. According to Stern, Shope was worried that NSM was riddled with, quote, the most vulnerable, the most loose cannon members that they had ever had in the organization, and that somebody was going to commit a crime and he was going to be held responsible for it, Stern says. Shope also felt unappreciated by the membership. Damn it, those Nazis just don't appreciate their leaders. Once Stern took over the organization, he sought advice from Jewish leaders as to how best use his new powers. Stern now has acted. He has intervened in the pending litigation against NSM to ask the judge, find the group and its members guilty, and punish them all accordingly, including Shope. Next, he says he will transform the group's Holocaust denial clearinghouse into a resource center for Holocaust remembrance. And he's offered control over the logins and passwords for NSM's social media accounts to the attorneys for the anti-racist activists who are suing NSM. Quote, Though Shope is no longer legally affiliated with NSM, he still faces the lawsuit because he is listed as a defendant in an individual capacity. It's definitely not good for him, and it shouldn't be good for him, Stern said. You spend 25 years terrorizing people. You can't rebrand overnight. It doesn't work like that. From California, where he runs Racial Reconciliation Outreach Ministries, Stern is still sorting through the legal intricacies his new leadership entails. He is currently listed as the attorney representing NSM in court filings, but a judge ruled Friday that he cannot be NSM's lawyer because corporations are not legally authorized to represent themselves in court. Stern said he is working on hiring an outside lawyer to refile his motion for a summary judgment on the lawsuit. He, he has also offered the plaintiff's attorney full access to NSM's social media accounts, he said because he claims to own those now, too. Quote, Say what you want about me, Stern said, but I've done this twice now. So uh, that is one way to beat the racists, is take over their groups and organizations and dismantle them. And that will wrap up this episode of Unrelated Things. Remember, if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to unrelatedthings.net and find back episodes. You can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can also watch this on Twitch where I record live. Go to twitch.tv slash unrelatedthings and follow for more. Thanks for listening. It's unrelated things.